Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we're going to talk to Steve Chappelle of stevechappelle.ca. He runs his own business and uh, has a very interesting focus. But first, Steve, let's get into your academic background. Where did you go to school? Well, I went to school. I grew up in Scarborough. And uh, I, I I went to college, but it was for radio and TV writing. It wasn't related to... Um, the line of work I eventually got into, which was information technology, computers. Um, I, I didn't get any, um, any kind of computer degree until I was 40 when I was uh, in a period of unemployment when I got caught up in the uh, dot-com meltdown of the 2000 uh, era. And so half of everybody I knew in the industry was looking for work as well. So my wife said, you know, why don't you just, you're probably not going to get a job for a little while. Why don't you just go back to school for a bit? So I did, and I got um, four certifications in 11 months. It was tough. I lost weight, but I did it. That's terrific. So where have you worked during your uh Right. Well, the first job I got was in a mailroom. So that was, uh, I guess that term is kind of fading away, but I did actually work in a mailroom as a first job. Then uh, just through getting to know people, I got a job as kind of an entry level uh, person in uh, in the mainframe computer operations department. Uh, went from there to another company. Uh, well, that, the first one was called Multiple Access Computer Group. I think they were defunct a long time ago. Then I went and worked for the F.W. Woolworth Company for a year, which people knew better as Woolco. And from there, I worked for Dominion of Canada for about 16 years. And I went from um, op, an op computer operator up to a system programmer, technical analyst. Um, and then after that, I worked for a software company called Huon. And then I went, f- that, it was at the end of that, that the whole unemployment period took place. After that, it was uh, when I finally got working, it was for ADP, uh, sorry, um, CDI, which was a computer uh, remarketer, did about three or four years there. And then I worked for ADP, the payroll and other financial services company for about three years after that. And it was at that point um, when I decided that I should try to support myself with my own business and i was afraid so somewhere along you met a teacher from the toronto district school board tell us about that experience all right so you've done some homework here that's true that was back in around 2003 during that unemployment period where it was also in addition to Going back to school, I was doing different kinds of PC support work for mostly residential, but a a couple of small businesses around this part of uh, Toronto, where I live. And she was starting to tell me as I was setting up her wireless network, which was a brand new thing at the time, about some girls misbehaving on this website at her school. And she didn't know, they weren't sure what to do about that. So she asked, uh, is there anything you could help their parents with? And I had no idea. I didn't know anything about 
it was my space and that was the beginning of social media but after the next little while went on and it started to explode in usage i thought um yeah, there's a real need growing here, and I should learn both ends of this, sort of the cause and effect of the problem, and put together some messages, and I tried, and I ended up renting a um, the basement of a nearby library and just invited a bunch of friends, uh, neighbor, parent friends, and I had to read off paper because I had nothing really memorized at this point, and the feedback seemed pretty good, but I was still working full-time, at that point, this is around 2006, but I started to offer it in the evenings to schools. So I did a few for the next several years, and then that's where it gradually evolved into take a chance, jump off the cliff, and see if you can make this into a business. And your wife went along with that. She did. She was very supportive of it. We were fortunate that uh, only except for about two, three years ago, she remained employed through that whole period, which certainly made it um, a lot more feasible. We never carried a lot of unnecessary debt and so forth. So um, it was it was worth, I didn't want to get to the end of my days and think, you know, I should have tried that, but I was too much of a chicken. Okay, so in this new organization, from what I read on your website, and let's break these down, you do seminars and workshops, you do reputation repair, and you do digital estate plans. So let's start with the first one, seminars and workshops. Okay, so this is probably the main core of, of the kinds of service I provide, which is in the, in the beginning, people were calling it internet safety. And then, and then after that, it kind of broadened a bit because as more and more providers of social media emerged with different sort of takes on it, uh, the general phrase evolved to social media behavior, which was very appealing to the school uh, sector where I did the vast majority of my business up until recently. And then um, from there, it, I could see, you know, that, that is social media and social networking is an aspect of really information privacy and security because as, as all these different violations are hitting people and organizations around the world constantly, it doesn't make sense to stay so narrow. It's just everybody needs to improve their the way that they handle the their information and communication with other people. So then um, I, I created uh, an offshoot of that, which is how to organize the digital information needed for an estate plan, because uh, I'll just keep this kind of brief, but um, a lot, depending on your age and your sort of style of, of running your financial and personal business, there's a lot of information such as statements and invoices and receipts and so forth that never actually uh, appear in a paper form unless you then, as an extra step, print it. So there's a lot of information that is either on websites around the World Wide Web, or maybe you received elect digital communication, but for your heirs and beneficiaries and executor to be able to organize this information has become a real rat's nest. So I first preparing this kind of information for my wife as a successor. At one point, I, I realized, you know, this is actually becoming a pretty good little toolkit, like as far as having a blueprint, this could be teachable. So then I organize it into a course which is available 
available at the Udemy and Schoolshare platform or Skillshare platforms, which are two of the largest online learning platforms currently. And then the other one about reputation repair, I haven't done a great deal of of that formally, but uh, because it's a kind of thing when and when people call up, they are panicking, afraid something terrible has happened or they think it has, and they just want to get it over with as quickly as possible so they don't have to think about it anymore. So I haven't really pushed that, but I have I have built a little bit, but I have informally helped several other people with really ugly, threatening situations that have resulted in just careless, going with the flow, social networking. So in terms of uh, parents who have elementary school students and secondary school students in particular, what are two key steps that they should be checking on to ensure their, their, uh, their their children aren't getting involved in bad things. Okay. That's a tough one to answer. I'm going to do my best because there, there aren't really just two. Um, probably conceptually is probably the place to start, and that is to have an, an open dialogue with, with, with their kids and to not be so much doing that peeking over the shoulder entirely, but making sure that they're regularly either explaining to their kids or showing them examples in the media of what can happen to kids like them if they think there's nothing to worry about and are unaware of the different kinds of predatory behavior that, that exists, mostly by uh, adults, but not exclusively. And then the other thing would be for them to, well, an additional thing to understand that there are legal punishments that go right down to age 12 for uh, various kinds of internet-based crimes. So don't think that, oh, because you're 14, well, I can do whatever I want. I'm under 16 or I'm under 18. Don't think that. And for pa younger pa parents of younger kids to don't lose the will to resist your kids' demands, for example, a cell phone and social media accounts and so forth, because the legal minimum age is 13 for a child to have an account or if they're younger than that they must have their parents consent so of course that's a very vague kind of situation but i like to remind parents and i just did that um uh two nights ago with the school in the halton district where i was giving a webinar to the parent association um that with that age 13 if if their kid either causes a great deal of trouble or unfortunately attracts the attention of some sort of predator in some way or other um everybody the police other parents different school authorities and so forth are going to be asking okay well your kid is 11 or 10 and they've been posting this material or they've they've unleashed all kinds of personal information about themselves and they attracted a predator did you give your child permission to have this account? And no matter what they say, it's no good. If they say yes, it's like, what? So you thought it was okay for a 10 or 11 year old to have a social networking account mixing in there with 1.4 billion other adults in the world, or no, you didn't know your child had that yet. You pay for the account, you provided the device. So you see there's, it, it's, it's, it's more serious than some parents realize and they're, policy is kind of like the way dr diogardi talks about uh, a plan you know hope is no strategy they just hope everything will be okay till they're old enough to 
be adults and look after themselves, but but that's not the right way to do it, clearly. Yeah, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. The challenge for seniors. First of all, understanding computers and understanding cell phones and being extremely vulnerable on mm -hmm. both devices. How would you help them? Yeah, so that's that's um that's a, a different but similar kettle of fish because the kids don't have years, decades of intuition and disciplines and personal methods for protecting all of the visible and non-visible uh, parts of information about their life. But the kids have the ability to learn things quickly and are motivated to do so, where the seniors and, and just older people don't have to be retired. They have that decades of intuition, but then the two types of personalities come into it. One is a person who can is not in fear of learning new information can 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 be receptive to to new things and new concept and and changing the ways they do things versus a person who suffers from and and i i kind of looked into this quite a bit in the last couple of years and noticed it in the people i know it's called neophobia and it, and if for anyone who knows the uh latin or greek basis for english it is what it looks like it is an emphasis on an irrational fear of new things. And there are people significantly younger than me, that young adults that I, I still see that, that they just kind of drawn a line in the sand. Well, okay, up to this point, everything there that's good, and anything after that's not to be trusted. So for seniors and older people, I would say, um, if, you, if you are a person that is receptive to learning new things, new techniques, one, keep dialogues going with younger people that you would consider subject matter experts of it Two, find resources around the web. So say two or three YouTube channels or weekly articles where different aspects of emerging technology are discussed in, in a context that you can grasp. Well, that person is speaking at the, at the level that suits you. And third, um, kind of like what um, yeah, uh, I try, I assume you were there the other night when we presented uh the webinar to the re retirees group that you're referring to um stay in touch with other re retirees not only to pick up the benefit of those who are fairly astute at these things but also to listen to the concerns of the people that aren't picking it up to understand well what is it that what is it about it that is is the block for you to sort of um be comfortable enough to take step one into it and then and then just keep the dialogue going because that might help that person feel okay. Well, if if this person who's just like me has been able to pick this up, maybe I should drop my guard a bit, ask a lot of questions, and try something. Okay, the challenge is going to be going forward. So, if we look, say, two years down the road, there's going to be more and more and more social media available on phones or desktops or laptops. How do you keep in touch with what's happening and what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. Well, that's where I uh, now for, say, a retiree, typical retiree that is still probably getting the vast majority of their information, although diminishing in ratio from traditional media. So we're talking about 
the CBC, um, American networks, ABC, CNN, etc., um, paper newspaper subscription, and so forth. So they are going to be reporting on things, and I still keep in touch with that as well. And there is still a supply of meaningful information, but those media are fading. So I think that it's it would be a good start for a person to a retired person to find examples of print, which would be online, and various kinds of video news broadcasts, which again would be online, and just make a habit of an hour or two a week reading about reading articles that are purely technology oriented to just keep abreast of new trends. Because something, for example, like the like uh, blockchain. So I, I won't go into that too much. I've been I've been putting a lot of focus on this for a while now. It's emerging drastically into people's lives. It's just really invisible right now. It's not only about currency and finance. So this will be something where once people start to read for twenty minutes and then a couple of weeks later read for another twenty minutes, it starts to sink in like virtually everything else that was new in one's life. And you start to get a rough idea what it's about. And then you start to be able to go from that absolute novice um, definition or, or or level towards an intermediate level. And then once you're to that with really anything, you're beginning to be fluent in it and things aren't so intimidating to take it to the next level. Okay, so is it just you or do you have a backup person to help you? No, well, the only person that has worked for me so far does the um, sort of prospecting as far as um, trying to make contacts for me. I, I, I do everything myself. So there are benefits to being able to, to DIY a lot of things, but there's also... Uh, detriments to that yeah there's risk but there's also as i was describing this with my wife recently about the prospect of moving some of the responsibilities of things i do with this business to another person i said you know it doesn't matter who you are you've got the outskirts of your intellectual capability your experience and your creativity once you've reached that you can't you can't really extend anymore for a while the only thing that can extend that which isn't really your intellectual capability but it's time for your experience to have used those other two aspects of your personality to come up with new ideas so no matter how good you are at anything whether you're steven spielberg or or um, elon musk or anybody like that at the end of that day, you're out of ideas till tomorrow. But if somebody else was there to find something wrong with the idea that you were working on or to enhance and extend that idea, things can go better. So uh, long answer, no, I don't really have anybody else. I just am paying attention all the time and asking questions and not afraid to feel like I'm like a noob at things. So Steve, if you had it, a 10-year-old or a college or university student who was working with you, they could probably teach you as much as you teach them. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, in fact, I have a neighbor who's about uh, – he's just he's just under 10 years younger than me. And uh, we um, 
we've had quite a lot of different discussions about investing and we have absolute opposite strategies in investing. I kind of take the, the more uh, traditional kind of disciplined theory to investing where he's been he's owned um rental real estate he's been up and down in pure gold and he's was big on crypto there for a number of years um changing his mind a little bit about it these days but these are all things that were i had not really been involved in he wasn't interested in in um buy something because the fundamentals look good and the and the yield looks good right now None of that. I, I think that it was not exciting enough for him. There was that, not the patience. And I was trying to stress, you know, with any of these kinds of things, take the long view. Think more like a general than a soldier slugging it out on the battlefield every day. It's okay to let a lot of time pass where you're just absorbing information and formulating an, an instinct or an intuition about what to do, which really for, for the technology is probably a really good um, I think a really good approach because things change so fast you don't want to become too much of a specialist or that technology might just get dropped one day so besides schools what are your other target markets that you're involved in I think yeah okay I, that, yeah sorry I think initially I uh, connected with you Mm -hmm. through a lady at a United Church. Is that one of your new target markets? or No, not, not specifically. Right up until recently, um, the vast, I would say, more than 95% of all the business I did was to Ontario school boards. So that's public, Catholic, and independent schools, quite a few independent schools. Um, the, what, what became difficult with that was it, was, it was really satisfying, but labor disputes just about every two or three years were just crippling me. There would either be a strike or the threat of a strike or a work slowdown and, you know, not to get involved in the, uh, the machinations of, of their labor, um, you know, uh, aspects as it relates to the provincial government, like none of that kind of thing. It, that's that's them, but it would always it would keep costing me. So I I got a call one day from this is about three years ago from a woman who was a member of a probus club, and she said, which I'd never heard of, and she said, you probably don't remember me. I saw you speak at my daughter's high school about six years ago. So this was an older parent. Um, but she still wasn't that young relative to, to Probus memberships. And she said, we've had a speaker drop out next Tuesday or whatever it was. Is there, I, is there any chance you could come and speak about, about the information privacy topic? And I said, well, let me look at the calendar, took a look. I said, yeah, I can make it. It was in Toronto, not far from where I am. So like that. And I'd never heard of Probus. I looked into the website um i looked and saw that's all around the world that they're the or the uh origin of it re relating to the rotary club it looked like it was possibly retired rotarians or something like that and i thought oh wow and then so then i uh, two weeks later i got a call from another one after i had done that uh seminar remember this is when you could actually get up close to your audience not now 
Um, and she said, oh, well, I heard you came to such and such, and uh, we could use a speaker like that. So then I started to contact a lot of different Probus clubs and other retiree organizations. And I have done, uh, oh, maybe close to 20 of those in the last, say, two years or so. And then more recently, I, um, because I gave a keynote at the Toronto Real Estate Board's um, AGM in September 2019, so just before all this happened, so, you know, again, in-person, large group, I started to contact a few other real estate boards and associations, and that's where I've actually been doing the majority of my uh, presenting about information privacy and security, because really anybody who does a lot of exchanging of confidential information electronically is under threat, and there are some very casual approaches to exchanging this information going on, not just with them, but any any um, any professional who's just got to get her done according to the uh, deadline and so forth. Whatever, make it fast. You know, we got to close on this date. Well, they might not be um, following the best practices, or even be aware that there are some lurking uh, threats. And if you knew about them, you might change your mind about using that. I'm surprised you haven't written an ebook. Well, I, I, I have written an ebook, um, but it's not about this topic. It's actually about the <laughs> Spanish flu pandemic in 1919 that caused the Stanley Cup final to be canceled. And I actually have another interview to do with the a professor at the University of, I think it's Northern Washington, because the Seattle Metropolitans are the one of the two teams in that Stanley Cup final. The other one is the Montreal Canadiens. So um, that is one that I have written completely irrelevant to this, although I wrote it uh, 25 over 25 years ago, and I did have an agreement for a publisher, which fell through at the last minute. But for anyone who's ever gone through the slog of trying to get a, a traditional publisher anyway, at that point, you're just so exhausted and demoralized by the whole process. It doesn't matter how good your book is or you think it is or people tell you it is. If you if you haven't got someone who's ready to, to publish that for you with an agreement signed, then it's just a theory. But I dug it up in when I when the Seattle Kraken had been announced. Well, they didn't even have the name then, but in about 2018 when they were going to be granted a team in the nhl 32nd team i thought oh this might be a good environment to dig that up and see if i can get anything going with it so i pulled it up did a whole edit again myself and i could see how much better my writing style had is now compared to then so i made a lot of changes and then i just published it on amazon and it has been selling moderately so it was it was worth it what about the current business you're in you could take all the uh, concepts from your seminars, your experiences with schools. I could um, turn it into an ebook. I my my feeling is that reading has been fading by by the world's population. People still read, but attention spans have gotten so short that people tend to prefer video for education as well as entertainment not all the time but if it's much people would certainly much prefer a very well produced video of some sort regardless of the content than a page with pure text so 
that's why I put together a, um, a course that helps people shows people how to organize their digital information needed for an effective estate plan. And that was the first one that I put up on the two uh, platforms. And I'm now in the process of developing and you could say evolving the information privacy and security webinar as seminar to also a uh, an online learning platform, which I'm actually going to split it into two because there's, there's always more content, relevant content in any seminar webinar that I give in, in an hour or so than can fit. So I'm really, I've divided it into privacy best practices and security best practices and explaining the distinction, but also the relation between the two. So that if somebody took one, they could realize, okay, if I found that helpful, I can get more similar kind of direction with the other one. So Steve, we've... Uh run out of time you could go on for quite a while i know that but uh just to remind people how do people reach you well they can reach me at my website which is my name so uh stevechappelle.ca s-t-e-v-e-c-h-a-p-e-l-l-e.ca um my phone number is on that. I, I won't mention that here, but they can, if they wanted to call me through that, or they could also send me an email, which is the address is on the website, but it is also steve at stevechappelle.ca, same domain, S-T-E-V-E-C-H-A-P-E-L-L-E.ca. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Well, thanks very much. Uh, have a great day.